Word of God declares, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. I believe that. I believe it ought to be taught. I believe the Bible emphasizes that point, and I want it to be an emphasis in our lives, because it's an emphasis of Scripture. The powers that be, when the Apostle Paul wrote those words, were a pagan, foreign, usurping, Christ-denying, Christianity-denying form of government, the Roman Empire. If there had never been an occasion for an apostle to justify rebellion against an authority, it would have been to throw off the yoke of Rome. And believe me, there were lots of Jews that wanted to hear that message because they wanted to oppose the Roman government. He could have got himself a crowd. He could have been a great political prophet, as I've preached many, many years ago from Matthew chapter 7, where he could have gathered to himself crowds, the apostle could have, by preaching a political message. Some of you have heard of political prophets before. I'll not name very many, like Carl McIntyre and Jerry Falwell, and others whose ministries are based on a political message. And if the Apostle Paul had had a political message like that, to change a government, to resist a government, he could have attracted a crowd in Israel, because they all wanted some champion to step forth to help them throw off the yoke of Rome. But he said the powers that be, present tense, which is the Roman government, are ordained of God. God denying, Christ denying, sodomites, in Caesar's seat. That's no railing accusation. That's historical fact. Right. Just as the Bible describes historical facts of kings of Israel and kings of pagan governments. He said the powers that be are ordained of God. What a lesson for us when you read Romans 13. We're not talking about the United States of America and the constitutional liberties and anything like that that you might think is noble and high. We're talking about the Roman government that took Christians and fed them to lions, fed them to gladiators, and stuck them on poles and put them in Nero's garden and lit them so that they burned like candles. Right. We're talking about a Roman government that crucified the Lord of glory when Pilate knew he had done no evil. We're talking about a Roman government that persecuted the Apostle Paul from city to city. We're talking about a Roman government that came to the Roman Catholic Church and persecuted the saints of God for 1,200 years and wore them out. The powers that be are ordained of God. When they said don't preach, they preached anyway. When they said anything else, they did it. That's right. Tribute, custom, and honor as verse 7, but we'll get to that later. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, let none here think that this is wasted time. Let none here be distracted by their own concerns. Let none here, O Lord, miss the importance of this lesson. Thou art God, O Lord, above all other things, means that thou art infinitely higher than we and able to tell us what we ought to do. Authority, O Lord, is part of your very nature, for thou art God. And in this world you have created authority, you have ordained it, and the powers that be are ordained of thee, and to resist them is to resist the ordinance of God. Heavenly Father, your word emphasizes it from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3 to the end. I'm going to read about the authority that you will take when you put down all the kingdoms of this world. Oh Lord, I pray that you will bless the preaching this evening that will be to the prophet of these, your people. That they'll be strengthened, established, confirmed, and provoked. Be more careful in their lives in submitting to the authority that you have ordained. And oh Lord, may it redound to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. May it be to his praise and honor that young independent-minded individualists, many of us who have been involved in the past in things to our shame, in opposing authority in our homes, in the workplace, and against our very government, that we might be the Jesus Christ who have heard and learned and obeyed the gospel. May Jesus be magnified in all that we do. For I ask it in his blessed name, which is above every name. 
And O Lord, let me set no authority so high that it competes with Jesus Christ. But let all be brought underneath him. For he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Prince of the kings of the earth. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. There may have been a prince of Persia, but there's a prince of the kings of the earth. Amen. There may be a prince of the presidency. There may be a prince of the United States of America, but there's a prince of the kings of the earth. And let there be no doubt in your mind as to the odds on any conflict between the two of them. I don't even want to review this evening. I want to move into what I'd like to cover tonight in the few minutes that we have remaining. The first thing I'd like to do is exalt authority. You'd say, well, for the last three weeks, it seems like you've been exalting authority. I haven't got to exalt the authority yet. We've just been describing some other aspects of authority. Where did it come from? What's the source of authority? What's the origin of authority, the basis for authority, the definition of authority? Let's exalt it in the way God's Word exalts it. Look at Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. You know, we live in a nation. The foundation of this nation is based on rebellion. This nation revolted against one form of government, established a new one, and from that we're taught in our history books almost every year of our lives when we're in school. From that comes an attitude on the part of most American people that we're proud of. An attitude of being independent thinkers, individualists, that we won't let someone tell us what to do unless we think it's right. We'll throw off the yoke of someone who tries to tell us what to do that isn't right. And that is, a, that is the American spirit. We look at nations, and I, believe me, I don't want everything these nations have to offer, but we look at nations like China, Japan, the Philippines, and others where there is a greater reverence for authority, and we mix apples and oranges and we think they're backward because of that. They're not backward because of that. They're backward because they don't have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've had the gospel, but we have not been a nation known for great obedience to authority. Just look at the entertainment forms that our nation has today. Those entertainment forms are generally based on someone bucking authority at some level that we've spoken of. And they're exalted as heroes for it. In Exodus chapter 22, however, let's get God's opinion and listen, I'm going to say things that war against your soul and war against mine. You had a young man up here tonight. That is the spirit of young men. That's foolishness found in the heart of a child. And you know how I mean that. We all have it. None of us like to be told what to do because of sin. To this day, none of us like to be told what to do. Right. But in this particular area of authority, we want to fight it. We want to buck it. We want to resist it because of our sinful natures, and because of our American upbringing, and because of the lack of authority in our society. You know, in Romans chapter 13, I spent a lot, I spent quite a while this afternoon reflecting on just a few verses. In Romans 13, it says there that we ought to fear authority because of wrath. And the wrath is not your wrath, and the wrath isn't God's wrath, it's the wrath of the government. But you know what? There is no wrath in America. Masters don't get mad. If they get mad, there's going to be someone grieving about them. Don't we have grievances about employers? We don't have government officials that can get angry. Or if they get angry, somebody might come along with a video camera and videotape them getting angry. And then they take that videotape and they spread it all across this country to smear the Los Angeles Police Department. Right, right. You say, but don't you feel bad for that black... I, I feel bad about that much. And you know how bad I feel for those policemen about this much. And the gate, the man who is the head of the Los Angeles Police Department <coughs> being asked to step out for two months because of that, because of one man who put a whole list of citizens at risk by a high-speed chase through heavily populated areas and who resisted arrest and who talked back and whatever else he had done before the video camera came on and everything else he had done that was on his criminal record. You say, but they shouldn't have done that. Well, maybe they shouldn't have. But you know whose you know side I'm going to always be on? Their side. Their side. We need, a, we need a few more incidents like that. You say, but that could happen to an innocent man. Oh, no, it doesn't. 
Right. You know, it does not. Go read Romans chapter 13. Powers are a terror to evil works, right. not to good works. Amen. You do what's right, it doesn't happen even when you're under the Roman government. You say what they preach the gospel and they got in trouble for it, that's a different category, and that's an exception. You live a quiet and peaceful life in honesty, and you will not be persecuted. Now, you may be persecuted for the cause of Christ, and that is a whole different issue. That's right. right. But to worry, I, I don't worry at all. Listen, the Los Angeles Police Department does not have enough rights to exercise wrath. Because if there was no wrath exercise, there wouldn't be as much civil rebellion out there in that state. Like in every state, they could probably cut their ranks in half. That's right. It is a, a travesty on authority that the head of the Los Angeles Police Department has to be, he is having to step down before a black drunkard. It's a travesty. Right. Solomon said, I saw servants riding on horses. It's one of the vanities of our world. Yeah. And it's an evil from the ruler. Our government should take more authority to itself. Right. Solomon said it's an evil that proceeds from the ruler. You can read about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, the bleeding hearts, the bleeding hearts that feel sorry for that man are perverse. That's right. Why don't they ever bleed about the policemen that are killed in the line of duty every year? That's right. Why don't they bleed about the policemen who are putting their lives at risk every morning when they walk out of a house and kiss their little girls goodbye and kiss their wife goodbye and go out to risk their lives for 18,000 measly dollars a year to protect you and me. And once they catch someone at the risk of their life and they book him and they see him the next day on the street because he's left off because there's no teeth in our law, why aren't the bleeding hearts around? Over and over and over and over again it happens. Where are the bleeding hearts? My heart bleeds, and it bleeds to the Los Angeles Police Department. Right. They should have got their hands on the man with the video camera. Right. And then filmed that, and then shown it at their fraternity meeting. <laughs> Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28. You say, you're talking about an oppressive government. We can use a little bit of oppression, if that's what you mean by oppression. For somebody calling authority into question like that, and then they blown out of proportion. Isn't that all you've been able to read for about two weeks? Blown out of proportion. Why don't they put great big pictures of the police officers who've been slain in the paper and have and then blow that out of proportion? You couldn't. You can't blow it out of proportion. They're they're paid measly wages and they risk their lives. Right. And do you know what? Every movie that's come out of Hollywood in the last couple of years has been about police departments. Show me an exception. They're all showing corruption and graft in police departments. Think, you know, I hope some of them you haven't seen or know about, but think about them. They're all about corruption in police departments. I'll show you some verses before we get through tonight that when you speak about, when you speak evil of someone in a position of authority, you had better do it with fear and trembling, and you better have a God-given taste to be doing it. Right. I don't want my children videotaping me all the time. You say, well, you ought to live in such a way that they could videotape you at any time. Listen, if I was God, I'd say yes to that. <clears throat> but my children were not given the right, nor the duty, nor the obligation, nor the intelligence to be able to call me in question right. as their father. Enough on that. Let's get off the bandwagon and back on to Exodus 22, verse 28. But listen, this is what we live in America. And listen to the word of God. Exodus 22 and verse 28. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. <laughs> Do you know what God would call Gates? I'd say his first, Mr. Gates to us. I don't know his first name. Do you know what God would call Mr. Gates? A God. Our God would give him the title of God. Right. You say, where does it say that? Well, it says it in Exodus 22 and verse 28, Thou shalt not revile the gods. That doesn't mean you shouldn't make fun of pagan deities like Elijah did on Mount Carmel. It doesn't mean you shouldn't make fun of Baal. This is talking about the gods over the people, which is defined the second clause of that verse. The ruler of thy people. They're called gods by God. God 
calls them gods for a couple of purposes, for a couple of reasons. They are his ministers, so they're acting in God's stead. They have authority, which makes them look like God. They have the power of life and death over men, which God has given them, and they're called gods. That is a term of reverence. I want to exalt authority tonight. Amen. The media in our country and the bleeding hearts in our nation make me sick. And I want to take the word of God and lift up those men in authority. Mr. Gates is a god for the city of Los Angeles. And he ought to be esteemed as one. Look at Romans 13. Romans 13. Not only are they called gods, they're called God's servants. Romans 13. Oh, but I'm saying... Wars against our spirits. Especially in America. In America, we have less respect for authority than any nation on earth. Romans 13, verse 4. Speaking of civil authority, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. All I want is the minister. Look down about two-thirds of the way to the verse, for he is the minister of God. He is the minister of God. Look at verse 6 in the middle of it, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. That's why we're supposed to support them. Because they give their lives to governing in the place of God. They're called God's ministers. I like that. They are called God's ministers. Mr. Gates is God's minister. President Bush is God's minister. Look at Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah chapter 27. I just want to take verses and show you the emphasis of God's word on exalting, not, not just the offices. Remember what I've taught you. It's not just the office God ordained. It's the men in the office. It's not just the men in the office. It's their state at any particular point in time. That doesn't mean that we would follow them into evil against God. But until there is that flagrant violation of what God's commanded us to do, we will call them our gods, nor will we revile them, nor will we curse them. Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 6, we read, And now have I given all these lands. I love this text. We can read, you know, verse 5 we read before, where God said, I have made the earth, the man, the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm. God's made everything, beast and men, of whatever kingdom or nation they might be of, and have given it unto whom it seemed to meet unto me. That is authority. Do you like that verse, or does it break on your nerves? That is authority. God said, I have made that. I have made beasts. And wherever they might dwell... I give them to whomsoever I will. That is authority. And that ought to give you an enlarged heart. For the sake of God and authority. It is not by the vote of the people. It is by the ordinance of God. This man did not run a political campaign where he went around with a 90 IQ, but a 120 IQ grin, shaking hands and kissing babies. Nebuchadnezzar did not become king that way. Nebuchadnezzar became king by God's ordinance from eternity on how this world would be governed and by his providence in bringing him to the pinnacle of power in the Babylonian Empire. He got there by courage, bravery, intelligence, and probably a whole lot of other things we don't want to talk about. But God got him there. And we read in verse 6, these things that God gives to men. Now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him. And his son and his son's son. Don't worry, God has the next election this nation already taken care of. We do the best we can. We vote as intelligently as we can. We trust God for a leader. And it may be Schwarzkopf. We could use a coup in this country. Now that's just for thought. God gives rulers. That's what I want to leave you with. Look at the exaltation of this. Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. I've given him everything. Even the beasts of the field will serve him. God blessed him greatly. 
God said he was the greatest king he ever had on this planet, the king of Babylon. We can read it over and over again. He was called the head of gold. God himself, there no other king. God himself calls him the king of kings. I have made thee a king of kings. And he literally was that. You know, let's leave kings for a minute. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The exaltation of authority. There's kings, just briefly. Thou shalt not revile the gods. Ephesians 5, 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And here's the, the statement I want. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. God ordained the office of a husband. God ordained the man that is your husband. God ordained the spirit of the man that is your husband right now. And you are to reverence that man. You say, well, what if he doesn't treat me well? That has nothing to do with it. That has everything to do with what the Bible says to him. But what the Bible says to women is, reverence your husband. We're talking about the exaltation of authority. We are not talking about the proper behavior of those in authority. And I wish everyone under authority could get those two separated. Right. When you're under authority, it is not your place. It is not your duty. It is not your ability to call in question the actions of those in authority over you until they flagrantly, plainly violate something God said. Until then, oh, you're told very plainly, it is not your place to answer again. It's your place to submit. You say, but what about a forward master? You know we've got that covered, don't you? A forward master is the only one you can truly submit to and show anything thankworthy to God. Amen. The only husband you can ever reverence and show anything that's worthy of praise to God is one mistreating you. See that she reverence. I wish everyone could always keep those things separate. Amen. They're always wanting to call in a question. Well, what about if he doesn't treat? What? 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 So what? Right. That's always going to be this way. We're all sinners. Everyone in authority is always going to make mistakes. So what? It is the office, and it is the man, and he's to be reverenced. Amen. The wife see that she reverenced her husband. <coughs> what woman did a good job of doing that? The Bible recognizes her, sets her up on a pinnacle, and says every woman who wants to be a good woman is going to emulate this woman, Sarah. When did Sarah call Abraham Lord? Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 18, verse 12. Genesis chapter 18. I know we briefly mentioned this last Sunday, but we weren't on this point. I want to exalt reverencing authority. We need to lift authority up to where it belongs. I wish I could go back and undo a lot of things that I've done in my life. I'm not preaching at you people like I've always submitted to authority and reverence them like I should have. I've got a whole lot of things that worry me. I wish I could go back. I have parents that are going to hear everything I'm saying that know a whole lot better about my life than what I'm saying to you right now. But by God, let it not be said of us from this day forward that we did those things. Amen. Let us change if we have not yet changed already. In Genesis 18, 12, Abraham has just been told Sarah's going to have a son. And verse 11 tells us that Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? She is talking to herself in the privacy of her tent, and she's laughing to herself about what she's just overheard, about she's going to have a son for Abraham. She calls him Lord when she's talking about her husband in her heart. Right. Think about that. Right. Now all you women, think about that. You want to be a good woman? You want to be a great woman? There's an example set up for us in the New Testament by name, Sarah. You want to do well? You'll be just like Sarah. 1 Peter 3, 6. All, I'm not preaching against women right now. I'm preaching about authority. What does God say about authority? You know, this is contrary to our nation. This partnership idea. And oh, you, you ask the average woman today, I mean the average Christian woman, I mean, I hope... Not the average Christian woman in the Greenville Church, but she asked the average woman, what do you think, Paul, oh, he's such a great friend? Sweet, nice, sick. Right. Great partner. Sweet, nice, sick. If you measure by this book. Right. You can have those little things with a footnote if you want them. If your husband lets you have a relationship like that and promotes a relationship like that with you, then have them as a footnote. 
But if you want to do it God's way, this isn't Jonathan Crosby's way. This is God's way. This is God's way. You talk about your husband as a Lord. You women, there was a shower yesterday which all of you were asked, what do you admire about your husbands? Let nothing ever be done for show, but wouldn't it be great to hear some women saying, my husband's a great Lord. Do I say that because I'm a man? I said it because I'm your pastor, and this is God's word. Maybe that was said. How do women talk about their husbands? He's a great friend, great provider, great partner. What about a great Lord? All I'm, the only point I'm trying to make right now is how does God lift up the office of a husband? Old and New Testament alike, there isn't a whit of difference. Right. Look at 1 Kings chapter 1. Some will say well, Sarah was the only weirdo that would do that. Well, let me read you about one more. She wasn't a weirdo. She was a great virtuous woman. Amen. Boy, if you can make it in the New Testament and be praised and lifted up by name, that's to be commended. I read in 1 Kings chapter 1. Our good friend David is laying in bed, brother. He's cold and he's old. He's got his hot water bottle there to keep him warm. Her name was Abishag. He's laying in bed with his wife. He had many wives. His cherished wife comes in to talk to him before he dies and to ask him who's going to be king. Because David had many wives, David had many jealous wives and many sons. Who was going to be the next king of Israel? Because Adonijah was making a move for the throne. And a woman named Bathsheba came in before David. We read in verse 31, Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence to the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. And I hear some bleeding heart say, She was just reverencing the king. You make him whatever you want him to be. We haven't seen a first lady like that in the history of your lives. Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth. He's laying in bed. She didn't come in and sit on the edge of the bed. And I'm not saying people always take me in a way that I never intended. Some people do. I'm not saying you can't sit on the edge of your husband's bed, but this man's in bed and she does obeisance. By bowing with her face to the earth, did reverence to the king. She fulfilled Ephesians 5.33 and she said, Let my Lord, King David, live forever. She didn't say, Let the Lord of Israel. She said, Let my Lord, King David, live forever. You know what? Her son was the next king of Israel. You say, well, that was just a coincidence. Well, God works all things at the counsel of his own will. There's a woman that showed reference to her husband. I'm not preaching against women. I'm not preaching on marriage. I'm preaching right now on authority. Authority. Rather than emphasizing how great a partner, how great a friend, how great a father. You know, you ask most women, they say, oh, he's a great father. He really loves the kids. Let's hear about a great Lord. If you don't want to say it, then think it. Sarah thought it. And she's the example. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, the apostle Paul assumed that they gave reverence to their fathers. I'm picking on words. Ephesians 5.33 said the wives ought to reverence their husbands. Reverence them. You know, we've made a big deal in the past. You haven't, made me, you haven't heard me make a big deal about it in a long time. Holy and reverend is his name. And the men go around, the men go around with the title of reverend are taking something to them they don't deserve. Yes, yes, I guess. But anyone in a position of authority is a reverend. Right. Because they're to be reverence. Do you know what a reverend is? It's an object of reverence. You know, the title is defeated in Matthew 23, where Jesus said you don't give titles like that to men. <coughs> titles for calling them in the marketplace. But they are objects of reverence. And Paul said, we reverenced our fathers. Now, that's not something that is usually said in the 20th century. We reverenced our fathers. Now, all you men sit there, and I'll, I know the women want to hear me say this. They shouldn't. We have this tendency. All you men sit there and love the point 
that I just made about women reverencing their husbands. However, all of us men are subject to reverencing our parents. That's right. We had fathers and we gave them reverence, Paul says. Now look at Genesis chapter 31, and let me show you an example of that kind of reverence to a father. Wives are to reverence their husbands, and that involves, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, calling them Lord. Do we have a child that we're calling his father Lord? Genesis chapter 31. Don't worry about the context. Oh. <laughs> the context isn't important to the point. Rachel's been a bad girl. She has stolen some gods, little gods, from her father's house, and she is sitting on them. And that's a forget that story. It's not important to what I want you. I want you to see the conversation she had with her father. Verse 35, she said to her father, Let it not displease, my lord, that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched but found out the images. You know, someone says, Well, that's an awful weak case to stand up. Uh-uh. It's not weak for these reasons. She normally would have stood up. Right. Notice what's implied in the words. She normally would have stood up. She called her father, my Lord. You say, well, that's just because she was trying to sweet talk him so that he wouldn't check under her skirt. If she had been, listen, dads back then weren't as dumb as they are today. Right. Dads back then didn't get moved so easily by flattering language like that unless they were used to it. It fits the context of everything we have in the Word of God. Amen. He was used to that title. He was used to her standing up before him, and she uses the custom of women as her excuse not to stand up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We should reverence our parents. Anybody who thinks that it's easy for me to get up and say to you what I'm saying right now does not know what it's like to have that thing back there. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12, we moved into their office. And we beseech you, brethren, this is the Apostle Paul, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Wives are to reverence their husbands, children are to reverence their parents, and church members should esteem, highly esteem, their pastors for their works' sake. Now let's move on to disrespectful language. A good way to look at how the Bible exalts authority is to see God's condemnation of how we talk about those in authority. We've already seen one. Verse Exodus 22, verse 28. Thou shalt not revile the gods. Thou shalt not curse the ruler of thy people. We are not to say evil things, bad language, call them names like I had to apologize a couple of weeks ago. We're not to do that. That's condemned by Exodus 22 and verse 28. Let's look at Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27, I want to exalt authority. You know, all of the emphasis today on books about family life and church life and uh, political life, political science, it's all based on defending those under authority. It's all how parents ought to be sweet and nice and kind and gentle and patient and all that other stuff. But where's the exaltation of authority? Deuteronomy 27, verse 16, here are a list of curses that God gave to Israel. The priests were to read out the curse, and all the people were to say, Amen. Amen. Anybody that does that should die. Amen. Amen. And Deuteronomy 27, 16 says, Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. Right. Nobody says amen. One brother says that's right. Everyone had to stand to this, brethren. Right. That cursed be anyone that setteth light by his father or his mother. Death. That curse was not some potion. You didn't curse them like some witch would cast a spell on someone. That curse was they'd be cut off. They're cursed. They're under God's judgment. They're put out of the nation. Just read the list of crimes and see what things we're dealing with. Setteth light by his mother or father. Speaks lightly about his mother or father. Speaks lightly to his mother or father. Setteth light. 
by his father and his mother. You treated your parents a certain way for 30 or 40 or 50 years, and I have mine. We live in a nation where everyone does it a certain way. We take liberties with our parents and our grandparents that other generations have not known, and other cultures do not know. And this Bible doesn't know. Cursed be he that says like by his father or his mother. I don't, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to do it now. Let me tell you about a man in this country. His name is Louis Gerstner, Jr. Louis Gerstner, Jr. is the chairman of RJR Nabisco. A couple of years ago, they were purchased by an investment group in New York City. $25 billion transaction, a leverage buyout. They bought this company. They put a real manager in for the one that was there. And he had sold off certain lines of business, fired all the fat bureaucratic weight the company had taken on through all the years of getting rich off of cigarettes. And he's turned that company around. They're paying off their debt. It's the neatest trick in the world, folks. A little group of men become the controllers of a $25 billion company just by putting a real man in charge of it. A leveraged bio is the most fascinating financial transaction that takes place because it's a real leader coming into a company that's got fat and happy and he trims it down to size and looks a lean machine. This is a man. You want to take how would you like to take over an empire that's plumb all the way around this world, has 110,000 employees, and get it in shape in two years? You've got to do it fast because you've got $25 billion that's accruing interest. Right. Do you know what your interest payment is on $25 billion? <laughs> you say, how do you raise that money? You raise it on junk bonds. Do you know what kind of interest rates you pay on junk bonds to raise $25 billion? You've got to turn the company around as fast as possible. This man is a real leader in American business right now. They own Nabisco. Nabisco manufactures and sells Fig Newtons. There is a Fig Newton ad where a little boy is laying in bed and the mother walks into the bedroom and says, uh, you know my abilities and you know my lack of ability. I'm not going to emulate any mother, but I... I don't know the commercial all that well. She walks in and she, she says, Johnny, put those cookies away. And Johnny says, it's not a cookie. It's a big Newton. He doesn't say it just like that. He says it rather respectfully, given our nation. It's not a cookie. It's a big Newton. And is that how it goes? Anybody heard? Anybody seen that here in this marketplace? Does, is that how it goes? This man, who is such a leader, threw a fit about that ad because he said, we are not going to promote children sassing their parents. Amen. You know, that's nothing. Mommy, it's not a cookie. It's a big Newton. He doesn't say it all that disrespectfully. I love a man like that. That man stood up and undressed himself in front of corporate America by taking a stand in a position like that. That man stood up and said, I do not want us promoting children sassing their parents. You know what word I just used? It's a word we haven't heard. That's right. It's a word that we don't talk about anymore, do we? Sass. Do you know where it comes from? It comes from Deuteronomy 27:16, setting light by your father and mother. Right. We don't even know it. I love Lewis Gerstner, Jr. May God bless him to have the greatest empire in this country. Amen. I, oh, times like that just thrilled me. God has left a few men, a generation. We don't even know what the word sass means. Now, my grandmother knew about the word sass. Did your grandmother know about the word sass? I'll bet they all did. It's something we've lost, isn't it? Think about how we talk. You know, there's one man doing that. You know, Nabisco was a very profitable company. And he's saying, I don't like that ad. And then we have all America sitting down to watch Bart and the Simpsons. <laughs> Who do you want voting for your leaders? A few men like Lewis Gerstner or all the people that sit down and watch Bart Simpson? Guess who goes to the voting polls? The people that watch Bart Simpson. And you know what? Every one of them gets an equal vote to Lewis Gerstner. 
A man who can take a $25 billion empire and turn it around in two years. Who has that kind of character and perception and courage. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about authority. There's a man who understands authority. You know what Centurion once said? I'm under authority and I have men under me. Lewis Kirstner understands that. When he's directing 110,000 people to get busy for him, he expects them to obey. He understands authority and he doesn't want anything being promoted in this nation to break down that authority. And we get all excited about the Bill Cosby show of Bart Simpson. May God help us. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I want to exalt authority. I want to lift it up. I want to enlarge your hearts. I want you to glory in what God's created. I want you to realize it's the ordinance of God. I want you to want to lift it up. I want you to be more perceptive. Let's watch what our children watch. And cut it out. Let's cut out the sassing and the ridicule and the joking and the jesting that breaks down authority. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 20. Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. The word of God says, Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. Brethren, whether it be your husband, or your father, or your boss, or your pastor, or your king, don't curse him in your thoughts. In your thoughts, give him as much liberty. Give him as much authority. Give him as much benefit of the doubt as you possibly can to honor God. Because there are birds. And listen, there are some that are called angels that take it the wrong direction. And that's to take it to God because angels are very observant about one thing. In this world, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us, they're very observant about authority. Right. Because they understand it. Why are women supposed to have long hair? For a symbol of authority on their heads. For, for what purpose does the apostle raise that? 1 Corinthians 11. For the angels. Because angels understand authority. I'll get to that. Angels won't even bring a railing accusation against rulers in this world. <coughs> Curse not the king in your thoughts. Listen, don't, women... Guard your thoughts about your husband, children. Just because you haven't said anything, you're no hero for that. Don't do it in your thoughts. Right. Because I'll tell you, if you're doing it in your thoughts, I will, I'll guarantee it. Whatever's in the heart is going to come out. And to God, it doesn't make any difference. Right. Acts 23. I, I, I have a whole list of verses, but I'll just give you a few. I, I want to exalt authority. Could you work for a man like Lewis Gershner? Hey, wow. Glorious. Acts 23, and Paul. Verse 1, earnestly beholding the coming. Acts 23, and Paul. Verse 1, earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them and stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul to him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? Quite an answer, isn't it? <laughs> then it stood by and said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Where's that from? Exodus 22, 28. Then said Paul, I wish not, brother, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now let's talk about something for a minute. Is it proper for Paul to have been busted in the mouth for having said, I've lived in good conscience before God until this day? In your opinion, was Paul justified in cutting loose with verse 3? I, I sort of like verse 3, don't you? My flesh likes it. My flesh likes verse 3. Paul's quite a hero, isn't he, in the flesh, to think that uh, he could respond like that so quickly. 
and say something so forcefully, but he, didn't, he wished not that it was the high priest, for he remembered Exodus 22 and verse 28, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Mistreated, what does he do? That office still demands respect. Amen. Had he yet forced Paul to do something against God's commandments? The high priest. Had he prohibited Paul from keeping God's commandments? No. Had he mistreated Paul? Yes. Thou shalt not speak evil. This is a railing accusation. It's a curse. God shall smite thee, thou blighted wall. And calls him in question for not keeping the law. Sounds very good to me. That is not the way you respond to authority. Amen. Even when they're mistreating you. And the Apostle Paul knew it. What an example. In Acts 23. Look at Titus chapter 2. <coughs> Titus chapter 2. If all employees in America were to serve their masters the way the Bible describes, how much managerial time and emotion could be saved by them not having to worry about personnel problems? Can you fathom that? Have you ever thought about that? See, I made a choice a long time. When I was at Michigan National Bank, I made a choice. No way am I going to be in a position of management in a line of responsibility where people are going to be reporting to me because I don't want people reporting to me because I don't like people. Nobody wants to obey and do what they're hired to do. So God made me a pastor. <laughs> I made that choice. Some men can do it better. There's no way. Because of the, the time wasted, I saw managers spend their entire days having to solve personnel problems. You know, Susie's got PMS. What do you do about her? And then Joe, he didn't get promoted as fast as Frank. Oh, what are you going to do about that? And all day long, and somebody, i got to have this week off. Listen, I've planned this vacation for two weeks. I need this week off. We're right in the middle of a cr crunch. Now, can't you see we're in the middle of a, a crunch right now? We, we need, listen, I've planned this for two. I've planned this for two weeks. If you ever worked in corporate America, you've heard that stuff over and over and over again. I saw those men, and listen, what I'm, I, I am preaching in their defense tonight. And every night when I speak on authority, that they have to put up with a gobbledygook like that and waste their time when they are the ones with ability to make this nation great. If they could be freed up to do what they're supposed to do. Look at what the apostle taught. Paul told Titus that, I, that Titus was supposed to teach his congregations these things. Titus chapter 2 and verse 9, exhort servants. This is my job. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. That's, that's a ministerial job. You know, people think the only thing a minister is supposed to preach is about Jesus being born of a virgin and dying on a cross. This is what I'm supposed to preach. Exhort servants to please their, to be obedient, obey them, and to please them well in all things. Everything your master wants you to do, you just don't do it. You do it well. Right. And please them in doing it. He said, but, 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 what, what about if you ask me, to, why are you always worrying about that? That is the bleeding heart spirit of rebellion. Right. That but, 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 but is answering again, right off the bat. But what if he tries to abuse his authority? It's his authority right. from your vantage point. When it's time to preach on masters, everyone in here has heard me preach on masters before. Because the Bible has some words for them. But guess what? It isn't your job to get that word to them. Not answering again. Let me answer it for you, though. You know, if your mind is still plagued with confusion, then what if your master tells you to do something that God doesn't want you to do? Well, in that case, if it's very, very clear, and it's very, very obvious, you ought to obey God rather than men. 
And until it's very, very clear and very, very obvious, you don't answer again and you please them well in all things, even if you think it's the dumbest thing you've ever seen, and even if you think it's the cruelest thing you've ever seen, please them well! Right. You know what? You serve a master like that. You serve a master like that and please them well in all things. By the government of God, that master will take care of you. Amen. You give me a Joseph and put him in a prison who pleases the prison guard well. You know where Joseph is? He's sitting behind the desk running the whole prison. It's in his care. You give me a boy who's sold as a slave into Egypt and he pleases his master well. He's put in charge of the whole household so the Potiphar didn't even know what he owned. When he wanted to see his balance sheet, he went and asked Joseph, what do I own? How did he get there? By practicing what the Bible teaches. Right. And the Lord was with him. Notice the text, brethren. This is my job to exhort. And I want to press all of you. I could stop. I could go around the room. I could bring up. I could ask the name of your boss. We could make it very specific. I don't have time to do that. I'm doing my best right now to appeal to you. This text says for you servants to be obedient to your own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, not stealing, not lifting little things, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I am to exhort you to serve your masters well so that it is an ornament to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if this church serves its masters as it should, we will be an ornament in our community. You want to talk about full-time Christian service? I've preached this message before, too. People are so caught up in the religious world of giving their lives to Jesus and being in full-time Christian service. What I just read to you is a full-time job. Amen. For you to serve your master well and listen, it adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. Right. You are serving Christ full-time. Right. right. I'm exalting authority. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. I've seen fathers grieve because their children didn't submit. I've seen husbands grieve because their wives didn't submit. I've seen managers, presidents, executive vice presidents grieve for having to waste so much time in personnel matters. Let God be true. And authority exalted. In 2 Peter chapter 2, there's God's judgment being laid out against certain types of men, and they're, they're described in verse 10, chief to them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Would you please notice that in one sentence he compares sodomites with those who don't want to submit to authority. Right. They despise government. They don't want to be governed. Presumptuous are they. They're presumptuous. They don't think about what they're doing. They do it quickly, hastily, without proper thought. Presumptuous are they. Self-will. They've got their own will. You know, I've got a mind too. Self-will. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. This, this is the character of wicked men that God's judgment is upon. This is a terrible text to fall into. Their self-will. I want to do it my way. Ever seen the boss go in to talk to one of these people and ask them to do it a certain way? Well, listen, the, the way I, that, that's not a very good way. The way I did it was better. I, I want to do it, can't do it my way, can't do it my way. You know, the Bible says you don't speak to a fool because they don't understand words. There's right. one thing lacking in management courses taught in America. <laughs> and it's what hangs on office blinds as well as family blinds at home. It's lacking. All that talk, that talking back ought to be leveled with physical force. The rod and reproof give wisdom. The Bible says servants are not intelligent enough to respond to reasoning with words. Right. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. And we could train some good workers in America. Let's keep reading in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Whereas angels... There are wicked men that are presumptuous about authority, bullheaded, stubborn, independent, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas, here's a different category of beings in this world, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, 
An angel is far greater than any boss in power and might, far greater than any king in power and might. But the angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. The angels do not come before God and bring railing accusation against human authority. And Peter and Jude says the very same thing, or drawing a distinction. The stubbornness and rebellion and folly of the human race right. about speaking evil of dignities where angels will not do it. But these, as these, these that speak against authority, these that don't that, that, that despise government, these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Anyone that tries to organize a union is guilty of that text right there. They're brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. And if we had a nation that feared God, the, the National Guard would roll like it once did a few times and then gave up back in the 1930s. Right. You know, Henry Ford is hated to this day because he had the courage to hire a few hundred men that worked for him that would shoot union organizers. <coughs> Listen, what does the Word of God say about union organizers? <coughs> it says these as natural brute, brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Speak evil of the things that they understand not. Listen, if you combined all their brains together with one man, they couldn't have dreamed up a car on the best of chemicals that our nation had to offer them. They could never have put together an assembly line system like Henry Ford did. And they wanted to take control of his company through the peons that ran the machines. And listen, I'd be right there right along with the rest of you because I know Henry Ford either. God made Henry Ford special. And he ought to have been followed. Listen, every... What is it? Every year, two years, the auto companies in Detroit have to crawl to the labor unions. The airlines have to crawl to the labor unions. We just read about one settlement this week, the pilots' union. Fire them all. Hire some more. What's going to happen with the baseball season starting right now? Brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. On and on and on in our nation. Well, the Word of God is very plain. It exalts authority. Amen. You know, you know how, how else can we exalt authority? God considers the parent-child relationship a tender relationship, and it is a tender relationship. But that tender relationship was enforced by death. Right? Death over and over and over again. You smite your parents, death. Curse your parents, death. Speak evil of your parents, death. Speak lightly about your parents, death. Mock your parents with your eyes, death. Tender relationship enforced by death. God considered the authority of a master over a servant to be so great that a master could beat his servant if he died the next day. That master was free from the blood of that man. You say, that, that is oppressive. Your choice, brother. You've got the Word of God or you've got the 20th century. I like this book. Amen. And I would have been a better employee than I was if I'd have seen this happen in a parking lot once or twice. <laughs> I tried to be a good employee, but I wasn't that good. We'd all be better if we followed this book, but we're going to follow it. The church, as far as we're able. Amen. Let our bosses be dumbfounded at the way we speak to them and not answer again. Go in and tell them you want to be their servant. I've seen a few faces before that have heard words like that. Go and tell them. God will be honored. How else can we exalt authority? Without turning, do you remember when David was being chased by King Saul? David was being chased by King Saul. King Saul had tried to take his life many times. God blessed David to sneak up on Saul one night while he was sleeping. And David's standing over him with one of his good nephews. And the nephew said, We've got it. The Lord's brought him into your hands. What did David do? No way will I touch the Lord's anointed, the Lord's ordinance. That, but that man was threatening his life. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. You, you make your choice in a situation like that. I'd rather be on David's side because David is not the great, that great king of Israel. Right. He had the chance to get there sooner. 
He could have helped his promotion out. What did David do to the man that came and bragged about having killed King Saul in the battlefield? Do all, do all of you know that story? That King Saul died in the battlefield and a the average soldier isn't very bright, I mean, compared to David. This soldier comes along and he sees David. Aha. I just killed King Saul. What promotion are you going to give me? <laughs> and we can read the verses. They're very entertaining to read. David just shakes his head. You shouldn't have touched the Lord's anointed. Boys, take him out. Cut him in half right there in the spot. Right for having touched the Lord's anointed. And he hadn't even touched him. He just bragged about it. Who killed King Saul? Killed himself. That man was just bragging about it and lost his life for it. I'm exalting authority. I've already mentioned 1 Corinthians 11. Women are wearing long hair to give a public, visible symbol of authority before the angels of God that do not bring railing accusations on men in positions of authority. A vow to God by a woman, whether she be a wife or a daughter, to be nullified by a man. Does that exalt authority? A man can intervene even in vows to Almighty God. There's an entire chapter in the Bible, Numbers chapter 30. Michael and the devil argued about the burial of Moses. Jude, verse 9. But Michael the archangel would not bring a railing accusation against that devil. He simply said, The Lord is you think. Right. We're to pray for them. First Timothy two two. Pray for all that are in authority. That exalts them. They're to be prayed for. We are close to the book of Titus. Look at Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three. This is my job. You know, you you can question me. You need to take four sermons, eight sermons on authority. Before God, I believe it's valuable time. Amen. Because this is my job. I already mentioned verse 9 in chapter 2. Look at verse 1 in chapter 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good word. It's my job to put people in mind of their duties to submit to authority. It's a major thrust of the Word of God. A major emphasis for our lives here in this world is to learn submission to authority. I want to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I did not get as far as I wanted to this evening. I hope it has still been profitable. I want a, I want an emphasis. I want a, a, a conviction. I want to provoke all of you to walk out of here wise towards your husbands, in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions. Submission, reverence. All of us toward our parents, whether we're parents ourselves or we're still children. Reverence toward our parents, not speaking lightly of them or about them or to them. Toward our government, speaking respectfully of President Bush, although we may disagree with him in a number of things. Listen, Jesse Jackson may be our next president after President Bush has another four years. Jesse Jackson could be our president. I'll be pushed to the wall. And I don't say it in chest. But do you know what we're going to do? We're not going to bring really accusation against him. We're going to give as much honor as we can. Right. And it sounds terrible, but listen, if Jesse Jackson is voted into the government of this country, we deserve Jesse Jackson as our president. That's right. And if there's enough people out there that would vote for him, that we deserve him as our president, and the powers that be are ordained of God, it will be God's ordinance for some strange work. That's what the Bible calls judgment. It's God's strange work. And that would be a strange one. <laughs> Let's hope to God that we don't have that. Anytime you get discouraged honoring President Bush, think about what I just said. I think you'll write him a letter. I think you'll write Congress and say, how about three terms in succession instead of two? May God save us. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Brethren, here is why I preach repeatedly on this for this series of messages. Because I'm fighting a war and I believe in your hearts by your sin nature. I believe in your hearts because of our nation, our culture, and our generation. 
I have to fight a war. I'm fighting it with myself. I know that I walk out of here, and it's too easy in speaking to my parents, in talking about the government, to not be as reverential as the Bible describes. And Paul said that verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, so we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Paul did not come like a Jesuit with a sword to make you profess Christianity in the name of the Catholic Church with a point of a sword. The Apostle Paul came preaching the gospel, but brethren, he came preaching it as hard as he could. He said in verse 5 about his methods, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I want to cast down your imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And one of the great things about the knowledge of God contained in this book is the authority that God has ordained. And we live in a nation, and you have hearts that are opposed to that. That is why of my emphasis. That is why my repetition. I want us grounded in this aspect of practical godliness in our lives, of wanting to submit to authority. Many of us have backgrounds that are shameful. Whether it be in a, in a tax revolt, speaking about our government, attempting to overthrow our government, in the way we've served employers, the way we've treated our parents. <coughs> May God bless us to be faithful to the emphasis of His Word. And those high things of our society, those bleeding hearts that I ridicule, I ridicule them in the name of the God that wrote this book, because this is truth. And they don't know what they're talking about. Amen. This is light, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Right. This is the word of the Lord. And may he be blessed, and would he bless us, that it would prosper the fruit in this congregation. Amen. Yeah.